Good morning. Um, a couple of things that I, I do want to mention here at the beginning. I know that Trisha mentioned um, that uh, Aaron Haynes and his, well, Aaron and Shannon Haynes were married yesterday, and so we just wish them uh, uh, congratulations on their wedding and on beginning their life together. It's very exciting. I'm um, also Nora Barkley, Nora Jean Barkley, was born yesterday. And so uh, congratulations to, to Anna Barkley and Joel, her husband Joel on their new baby. Uh, that's just very exciting as well. Lots of good things. Hmm. As we begin here, I'd like to have you stand for the reading of Scripture. We're going to read Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 to 15. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alan Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Badan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but no longer will you be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel. You may be seated. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the word most often translated as worship is also translated as service? They're the same word. To serve a God is to worship Him. In scriptures, we worship what we serve, what we set our minds and hearts on. In the Bible, to worship God is to serve Him. Now there's a lesson that we learn from Jacob's story, and this is our last week with Jacob. And as we look back and we try to just sum up What's the, the singular lesson you could learn from the Jacob story? Because there are, 
there are many. I think that the, the, the lesson in one sentence would be this. God wants to use, but doesn't need your hard work. God wants to use, but doesn't need your hard work. When your hard work is on God's behalf, it's service, it's worship. Jacob's story is is one of learning to worship, to serve God rather than himself. Because he struggles, right, all through. Do I use my talents? Do I use my energy? Do I work hard for me to benefit myself? Or do I give that over to the Lord? God wants to use Jacob's gifts. He wants Jacob to use his, his mind, his wit, his strategic thinking, his ability to work hard, all of that. God wants him to use that for God. But he will accomplish his goals, his desires, whether Jacob does it or not. Jacob's story is about learning to worship, to serve God rather than himself. And that's what we're talking about today in Genesis 35, learning to worship well. So some background for where we're at. When Abraham received God's call and left Haran, way back in Genesis 12, he stayed in a place called Shechem. Abraham, when he left his home, stayed in a place called Shechem. From there, he moved on to a place called Bethel. Now, God promised that all of this would one day belong to his family, but not yet. God tells Abraham that there will be 400 years of hardship between now and the promised land. And then two weeks ago, I mentioned that Jacob had moved to Shechem, which was near Bethel, where God had told him to go, but not quite there. So God says to Jacob, go to Bethel, and Jacob goes most of the way and settles in Shechem. And then we get chapter 34. And then here in chapter 35, we see him moving on to where God has called him to. Now Jacob has been to Bethel before. It's where Jacob encountered God. You remember the story. He lays his head down on a stone and he sees God's angels ascending and descending from heaven. And God promised Jacob then that he would fulfill the promises that he had made to Abraham to him, through him. And Jacob promised God that if God did that, then Jacob would worship him. And it's interesting, when you read that part of the story, part of you is like, yeah, Jacob, you get it. He's the the God you should worship. And then another part of you is like, oh, Jacob, you don't get it. We don't tell God we'll worship him if he does all the things we want him to do. And we see that Jacob is in this journey of faith, a journey of understanding and growing in his knowledge and his practice of worshiping God. As with many at the beginning, He sees God as a means to an end. Many of us, when we first encounter him, think the same. And then as we grow and mature and develop and we realize that our worship of God should never be based on what we think we'll get out of it, but it's because of who he is that we worship him. And so looking at this chapter... Genesis 35. There are a couple of things about worship that I see here. There are parts of Jacob's story as he grows, and there are things that I think are relevant for you and I today as well. And the first one is this. 
Just as Jacob is sort of following Abraham's journey, right? Abraham goes from Shechem to Bethel at this beginning of his his relationship with God. We see Jacob doing the same, and I think it must have been intentional, going from one to the next. Perhaps not intentional on Jacob's part, but it's impossible to not think that the story is being told that way. So we see that Jacob is following in Abraham's footsteps. And the lesson for us, I think, is this. We start by following our examples. We start by following our examples. For most of you, the faith example that came first was a parent, perhaps both parents. You grew up in a home where you went to church, and you watched as your mother and father, or one or the other, modeled Christian faith for you. And hopefully, that was an incredible blessing. When a parent models faith well, it is a blessing for a child to see and experience. And they grow up practicing faith the way you do. Their favorite worship songs are probably yours because they're the ones you're singing when you're at home. Their favorite things to do at church are probably some of the favorite things yours are to do because they do them with you. At the beginning, children follow the example of their parents. And what that means is that parents have a responsibility to model faithfulness until their children can choose on their own. Jacob's following his grandfather's example, just as children today follow their parents' example. Now, I think that sometimes this goes really well. Sometimes, and I think this is most true when the child and parent are similar. Sometimes it goes really well. A child goes to church with their parents. They have faith conversations with their parents. They grow up and their beliefs are similar to their parents. They go to the same church their parents did. And it just kind of goes seamlessly. We all know those stories. Perhaps you are one of those stories. I think it's a little harder when the, the, the personalities are really different. It's hard to worship God and have the same kind of relationship with God as someone who's just a lot different than you are. Some of you, when you think about your parents, you realize you're just very, very different than they were. And I imagine it's hard in those cases to just take on or follow the faith in the way that they practiced it. And that presents a challenge, whether it's a parent to a child or a different kind of role model. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher or just an adult a a Christian adult in a child's life, there is a responsibility placed on us to not just model going to church, but to model worship. And I mean that in a big way. When we talk about the worship time and service, we're talking about the singing. And that's good and right, and I I think that's, that's fine, but it is bigger than that. Our worship of the Lord encapsulates everything that we do. Or at least, that's the calling that's placed on us. One of the truths that a Christian has to struggle with is that we worship by setting our heart, our mind, on something. Hopefully, that's Jesus. Hopefully, that's God. Sometimes, that's something else. And when we read stories like this, where they they had idols that they worshipped, we think that that's almost silly. Who Who could carry something with them that they would worship instead of God, when God 
is available, and we say that as we struggle with the worship of money, or lust, or success, or something else. And so one responsibility all of us have is to model worship in every part of our lives so that we influence well those who are looking up to us. I imagine that Abraham would have been frustrated with Jacob's roundabout journey of faith. I imagine there are some parents or grandparents here who have been frustrated with their children or grandchildren's roundabout journey to faith. Or perhaps that journey is not in the place you hope it ends right now. But one, one comfort we can draw from Jacob is it takes Jacob a very, very long time to figure things out. We're in Genesis 35 here, and it seems like he gets it. Do you remember chapter 34, where I don't think he could get it wrong any more than he does? You see, at no point is the story over until it's over. And so one thing we can draw comfort from is knowing that especially if there have been good, good uh, models, people speaking into their, their faith journey, young people often will come back even when they walk away. But as frustrated as Abraham would have been with Jacob taking so long, I think there would be comfort in finding out that Jacob got there. And so my encouragement to you is this, twofold. One, make sure you're presenting a model of worship for someone to follow. Not that they have to do it just like you do, but when you practice it in every part of your life, they, they learn to follow the parts they connect with well. You're a better example in those cases. So the first encouragement I would have is to make sure that you are modeling worship. The second is this. When a loved one has moved away from the faith or has not grabbed hold of it in the way that you've hoped, patience is what's called for. Prayer is what's called for. Love and faithfulness, a reminder when it's appropriate, wisdom is given by the Spirit, but to wait and to wait with hope. Jacob tells us that the story may take a while to go where we hope it goes. So the first thing I feel like we learned from Genesis 35 is that we start by following our examples. The second thing is this. At some point, we who worship the Lord decide to really commit. And there's a difference between flirting with the Lord or coming to church and really committing. We see this with Jacob when he finally fulfills the promise he made all that time before. You see, remember the first time they were at Bethel, or he was at Bethel, he promises God, I will follow you. And we find out here all this time later, he's still carrying around these other gods. His family, his group, is still not worshiping Yahweh alone. But Jacob realizes something as he comes to Bethel, and he realizes the Lord is who the Lord has promised to be. The Lord is faithful. He decides to get serious about his faith and throw off the idols that they've been carrying with them. And again, these would be little carved things that would go with the family, usually in a way that reminded you of the God that you were worshiping. And there were many gods that people worshiped at this time. There's no way for us to know which idols they had with them. 
but they left them behind because they knew that the service, worship, practice of their hearts going forward needed to be devotion to Yahweh. I'm not sure where you are in your faith walk, but there usually is a moment once and then again and again and again where you realize you've also been carrying an idol around with you. Unfortunately for us, they're not usually carved things in the shape of a god. And so what that means is sometimes we don't realize we're carrying the idol. A lot of the times it takes maturity. It takes wisdom, discernment, to realize we're carrying an idol along with us. But an idol is anything that we give our devotion to above and before the Lord. Now that can be in a big picture sense. If God asks me to do anything, I'll do it except this thing. I would not give up this thing. That's an easy way to see what your idol is. But it's harder sometimes too because we sometimes convince ourselves that the worship of an idol doesn't displease the Lord. Of course, I'm spending all my time working at making as much money as I possibly can. And God's okay with that, because I'm not worshiping the money. Well, the question is, what is your heart? Where does it belong? Would you give it up if he asked? Does it, is it what you set your heart and your mind on when you're away from it? Is it the thing that consumes your thoughts? Is it what receives your practices of devotion rather than the Lord. And there are so many other idols. Sometimes it's violence. Sometimes it's a cause. A cause that we get so passionate about, it goes above and beyond our worship of the Lord. Sometimes it can be our country. If you cannot imagine how you could separate a love for country, from worship of the Lord, then let me tell you, you've fallen into an idol. I think that we Christians should be patriots. I think that being a Christian, though, is not the same thing as being a patriot. It comes underneath. What's the last idol you realized you were carrying with you? Is there one you're carrying still? Spending some time asking yourself that question, really asking yourself that question, is uncomfortable. And it's really uncomfortable when you come to an answer. But what, what it means for us to be serious about our devotion to the Lord is to be willing to set them down and recommit in faithfulness to him. Sometimes you have to set it down, and then a little while later you realize you've picked it back up, and you've got to set it down again and again and again. That's a practice that a Christian goes through over and over again in their life. And then he does this other thing. He has them change clothes. And that's just so interesting. He has everyone put on new clothes as they go forward to Bethel. And we don't know exactly what that's like. 
But there is a New Testament passage that talks about almost exactly the same thing. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. You can turn there with me or you can just listen. It's not going to be up here. I apologize. Ephesians 4 verses 22 to 24. The Apostle Paul says this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When I was getting married, the dear friend that performed the wedding ceremony, his name was John Wentz. And one thing I always tell couples about their wedding is you will likely not remember very much unless the preacher makes a mistake. You'll remember the preacher making a mistake. The rest of it will go by in a blur. And John, poor thing, was very nervous because he went to the same Bible college Lisa and I did and so a lot of the people that were there to watch the wedding were his professors that he looked up to, and his nervousness was palpable. He made, the first mistake he made is when we were doing the vows, and he, he uh, looked at me, and he said, repeat after me, I, Lisa, take you, Clayton. But then he made a comment in his sermon that made sense. He just had not said it out loud beforehand, and you could tell. He said, you know, it's... Getting married, it's like taking on a new role. It's like changing clothes, right? Like when you change roles. I've known Clayton a long time. I've seen him change clothes many times. That was news to me. But when we go through these big life changes, it is like a changing of clothes. It's like putting on something new after taking something old off. The biggest change, of course, is when we come to the Lord. We take off the old self and we put on the new self. The new self that dies to self and lives in Jesus. And when we decide that first time to cast our idols aside, that is what we're doing. We're throwing the old self off, putting the new self on. But it doesn't just stop there. Maybe you had that moment years ago. And you've not had another one since where you've realized, I've gotten sidetracked. My faith, which burned hot before, the flame has cooled. I've gotten distracted. Yes, I'm coming to church on Sundays, but I just don't think about the Lord very often. And then when you take a real honest survey, you realize there are idols you're carrying. I want to challenge you today to do that soul-searching, to ask yourself that question, really ask, and if idols are going with you, to set them down. So the first thing we do is we follow our examples. The second thing we do is we let go of our idols. The third thing that we learn from this passage is that we aren't done yet. We aren't done yet. Verse 11 in Genesis 35 is fascinating where God is speaking to Jacob, and he's sort of renewing the covenant with him. And here's what he says. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. We see the promise there of land, of family, that was given to Abraham as well. Also, there's a promise of a blessing but he says, be fruitful and increase in number. 
The last time we've heard that wasn't God speaking to Abraham. The last time we've heard that wasn't God speaking to Isaac. It was God speaking to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and increase in number. You see, we know the story at the beginning of the Bible. God has a kingdom that he wants to have us rule in his place. And then it's stolen from him. And the story of the scriptures, the story of redemption is God's new kingdom breaking in, being given to his people. And one of the things we see here is that this isn't that there was an old project and it's been abandoned. It's that God is taking the old project and he's going to make it new again. It's like a canvas and the painting is only halfway done. He's still making the picture. The Apostle Paul says that when you become a Christian, you become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That doesn't mean you stop being you. None of us blew up when we became Christians to be replaced by someone that looked like us. Something much better than that happens. A redemption, a newness that can't be seen from the eye but can be experienced in the spirit. A renewal that continues continues all the way through this life and into the next. The Apostle Paul talks about this also in Philippians 1.6 when he says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is remaking the world. The new creation is here and it's still coming. And he's using you and I to do it. But it's not just us being used as agents of new creation bringing about the world that God has promised. And it will never happen until he comes back. But still we work. Still we're called to work. The other thing that's being made new over and over again, continually, is you. It's not just the world around you, it's you. You know, a lot of the times we think about becoming a Christian and it's this question of, of, is a person in or out? Are they pre-Christ or post-Christ? Are they, are they a believer in the family or are they not? But the, the problem with thinking like that, I mean, that's, a, that's, that's true, right? It matters if you've gone from one place to the next. It matters so much, but it doesn't stop there. At that moment, it's just beginning. Yes, you're a new creation, but the new creation isn't done. God repeats this command he gave to Adam and Eve because the creation is still being filled, still being made, still being flushed out, being redeemed and reconciled and made new, but the painting isn't done. The same is true of you. We talked about getting rid of idols, but but how is God working in your heart to make you new? What's he challenging in your spirit? What's he changing now? How is he speaking to you? And of course, the Lord speaks to us all differently. I know people that hear from him when they pray. They hear a voice. I know people that that feel regularly led to the right passage of Scripture at the right time. I know people that, that feel like when they come to church, the question they've been wrestling with is answered by a song or a conversation or a sermon. For me, my my Lord speaks to me most often through my wife. 
How's he speaking to you and what's he saying? Because of course he'll tell you how he wants to use you to change the world around you, but how does he want to change you? Whether it's an idol to let go of, or an area in your heart that isn't like him, and he wants to make it like him. You see, we read these stories of of the patriarchs, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we see how imperfect they are. And it's frustrating because we want them to be the good guys. We want them to get it, and they make mistake after mistake after mistake, just like you and I do. But then we have here a picture of Jacob getting it. He's grown, and he'll continue to grow still. In what area are you growing? If you've not asked that, if you've not gone to the Lord and said, Lord, reveal to me where you want me to grow, how you want me to stretch, what I need to change to be more like you, I want to encourage you to do that today. Maybe it's a conversation you've had a hundred times and you've gotten the same answer a hundred times, so you've just stopped asking. Don't do that. Ask again. Ask every day and listen. And when he reveals an idol, drop it. And when he says, I want you to follow me in this way, say yes. And watch how by the power of the Holy Spirit, the work that he began in you on the day that you accepted him as your Lord and Savior continues powerfully. So that one day looking back, you'll be able to see the fruitfulness of the work of the Spirit in a heart that was willing and said yes. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you. And we are thankful. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to worship and that worship is greater than an hour on Sunday mornings. That it's every part of of our lives, when we're alone, when we're with others, when we're working, and when we're resting. Worship is all of it. You call us to set our mind, our hearts on you. And Lord, we thank you that you use us in these times, in these ways to change the world around us, to influence the people around us, to show your love and grace and mercy and goodness to them and also that it works in our own hearts. That you change us to become more like you. And Lord, like in the story of Jacob's, we know that there are times when we're up and times when we're down, times when you feel very near and times when you feel far away. But that from your perspective, you see the work that you are doing in us, the way that we're growing in you. Lord, we ask that you don't let us tire of coming back to you, of recommitting, of being changed. We ask that you reveal to us the idols we need to let go of, that you convict us to be models for others to follow, And that you encourage us, Lord, to never grow tired of becoming like you. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.